I'm going to go to the book of First Peter, chapter number 2, and then if you'll find, before you stand, if you'll find Isaiah 53 and mark that, uh, we'll go there here in just a little bit, but if everybody has it marked, then we can go there quickly and read from there also. Uh, we'll begin our reading in First Peter, chapter number 2. I do thank you for braving the storm and making your way in tonight. I was very thankful as I watched the day go on and the snow come in. I was very thankful for the way that it came and the temperature staying up and the road staying clear. And I don't mind the beauty of the snow as long as we can have church. So it always seems to snow on either Wednesday or Saturdays. And anyway, so very thankful that it worked out the way that it did tonight. First Peter chapter number 2, look on down into the chapter. Uh, we'll start in verse number 21. Verse number 21. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2, verse number 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile, found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Of course, we're still in our series through the book of First Peter, Hope in a World of Hopelessness. Excuse me. And I've titled the message tonight, Christ Suffering Gives Us Hope. Christ, Christ Suffering gives us hope. And it does. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, once again for the good group that's out tonight on this cold night. I'm thankful, Lord, that we have a warm place together and uh, that uh, you have something for us tonight. I truly believe that. So I just ask that you'd illuminate your word by your spirit. I pray that we would be very open to what you have for us we pray for your power one last time before we begin to preach. Father, that you just fill us and use us. Give us that unction that can only come from you. Uh, boldness to preach your word. I pray for clarity of mind, um, clarity of speech. Lord, that you'd guide and direct. We'd say everything you'd want us to say and refrain from anything that shouldn't be said. Uh, Lord, just help us through this. Um, we pray, dear God, that uh, you... Uh, we'll have your perfect will and way in every heart and life, and we thank you for we thank you for not giving up on us. Continue to work. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please be seated. <clears throat> I think that by the end of this message, we should be able to see from this portion of Scripture that we're looking at right here that Christ is our example. Christ is our example. But he's much more than our example. He is our example, says that. But he's much more than our example. Backing up just a little bit from verse number 11 in this chapter, the Apostle Peter's been talking to us as believers about our responsibility in the world in which we live. Our responsibility to unbelievers. We were left here for purpose. We were left here to be light. We were left here to be salt. We were left here to propagate the gospel. We were left here to let people know that there is a God in heaven, that he did send his only begotten son, that he paid the sin debt on the cross, and that if people will turn to him and trust Christ and what he did, they can be saved from their sins and have an eternal home in heaven. We have a responsibility to this world of unbelievers. But it goes way beyond just that simple sentence I just said. It goes so far beyond that. I mean, if that was it, if, if, if when we got saved, if everything was just easy for us as Christians from that time, it'd be a lot easier to fulfill all of that. But when you got saved, you didn't die. 
you still have that body that you live in. And that body that you live in, if you haven't noticed, can be some trouble at times. It can be real trouble. I mean, really, it starts with me in the morning when my alarm clock goes off. There's trouble from there. And it goes way beyond that. Anyway, what we have looked at up here in verses 11 and 12, he talks about having an honest conversation. When he talks about conversation, he's talking about a lifestyle, that we have an honest lifestyle, that we live honestly before unbelievers out there so that we cannot be accused of anything that's unchristlike. Are you following me already? That we cannot be accused of anything. We live in such a way that unbelievers can't look at us and go, oh man, if that's Christian, I don't want to be like that. Come on. I mean, we're supposed to have that honest lifestyle. And then this verses 13 through 17, he talks about how we're to be in submission to civil authority. That by living correctly, uh, being under submission there, under civil authority, that there's not going to be any foolish accusations against us. There are, quote-unquote, Christians out there. I, I shouldn't have put that in quote. There are people out there that believe, Christians out there that believe, that you don't have to, that we're no, under, no longer under the law, so you don't have to take a driver's license, and you don't have to have a marriage license, and, and, and you, don't, you don't have to uh, pay taxes. I mean, there was a church in Indiana that was completely demolished, I mean, and, and taken by the government because this pastor thought he didn't have to pay taxes because he's no, no longer under the law. But the Bible teaches us very, very clearly that we are to be in submission to civil authority and those people that have put, been put over us. And in verses 18 through 21, <clears throat> he addresses the submission, he, he addresses submission as servants, as servants. Now, we bring that up to modern times. He'd be talking uh, about workers, about laborers, and, and that we, they, we are supposed to be in submission, it, it talks there, uh, even when we are mistreated. And we're in be submission even, though when, even when we're mistreated as workers, as laborers, because, because our calling is much higher than just working to make a living. Now, come on. Our calling as born-again children of God is much more important than just working to make a living or working to go up a corporate ladder. Our life, our life is to be much more than that. It's to be, it's be focused much more. It's a, we have a much higher calling than that. I'm talking about, well, not everybody's called to full-time ministry. I'm not even talking about full-time ministry. I'm talking about us living as a believer in an unbelieving world and and being so Christ-like, attempting to be so Christ-like that we are... Or that we are willing to submit ourselves in such a way because people need to see a difference in Christians today. Come on, I know that's about a race anymore. If you look at all the quote-unquote churches that are out there that just say, just live any way you want, do whatever you want, as long as you come to church once a week and, and, and sing some praises to God and He just loves you so much. And they don't talk about being sanctified. They don't talk about being set apart. They don't talk about uh, proclaiming the gospel to a lost and dying world. Uh, they don't, they don't uh, uh, urge uh, their members to be missionaries around the world and all these different things and to be, and to be different. But I'm telling you, we, once we're born again by the Spirit of God, we have, a, we have a much higher calling than just working to make a living, even though we must work to make a living, or just going up a corporate ladder, although some people may be working that way. There's nothing wrong with doing those things as long as we do it in a proper manner as born-again Christians. Come on, this is all set. He's talking to born-again children of God. He's, he's, he's talking to us. So when we think about all of this, we have to presume that we, I'm sorry, that we as practicing Christians, I have to say it that way, as practicing Christians that are really trying to live a Christ-like life, that we as practicing Christians will not always be fairly treated by this world that we live in. That we're not always going to be treated the way that we think we should be treated. There's going to be times that we're going to suffer wrong at the hands of unbelievers. Now it makes it pretty clear here that there will be times that we will suffer wrong. But we're not to handle it like an unbeliever would handle it. 
We're not, we're not supposed to handle those things when we're treated wrong, when we're, when we're treated wrongly. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to react like an unbeliever would act. We're not supposed to handle those things like an unbeliever would handle those things. We're to handle it in such a way, even the injustice that comes to us, we are to handle it in such a way, an attitude that it would bring glory to God. It would bring glory to God. Look at the last part of verse number 21 there. It says, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So we're instructed by God's word. This is the perfect word of God. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it again because I really like to get. This is the perfect word of God. This is God's word to us. This is God's instruction to us. We do believe that. I mean, we believe it. We absolutely believe it. And we're instructed by Him in more places than that. But we're instructed uh, by Him, by God's Word, to submit and to humble ourselves, living out our lives according to Jesus' example. He set the example for you and I. We're, We're to live according to Jesus' example who suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. Going to be more about that. Christ is to be our example, but he is much more than our example. And I want you to tune in here. Please do that. Because as a child of God in this world where we live, we are called upon at times to suffer for Christ's sake. It is going to happen. Those times will come about in your life. If they haven't already, they will at times come about in your life. But he set the example for that. Verse number 22, who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. So Christ set the example for you and I in suffering. And the suffering that Christ went through, say with me here, the suffering that Christ went through It came all together at the cross. We know that. Man, we hear that story. We think on that story. I mean, I mean, we, we, we thank him for what he went through and, and all the, the, the mocking and ridiculing and scourging and nailed to the cross and suffering. And, 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 and it came all together there. But the suffering began a long time before that. It, It began a whole long time before that. Turn over to Isaiah 53. Keep your place there and turn over to Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah 53. Look at verse number 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Um. We really need to think about that. Take a close look at that. The Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself to come down and walk in this world as a man. He humbled himself, came down, walked in this world as a man. Jesus, don't take this lightly, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man had to suffer in his voluntary humiliation to live here. He had to humble himself voluntarily. He came to this world knowing that it was an act of suffering. He knew what was to take place. Nothing caught him by surprise. Nothing that happened while he was here on this earth caught him by surprise. And he didn't come to execute judgment. No, no, no. But he came to suffer as a man for us. He came to suffer for us. Well, 
I don't know about that preacher. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So we, he, he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. There were those who treated him, there were those that treated him like anything but the Son of God. So Jesus was a man of suffering. He was a man of suffering. Um, and he suffered humiliation. God suffered humiliation as a man. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, not only that, but he lived in poverty. He left all of his riches, and came down here, and lived in poverty. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, that ye through his poverty, poverty might be rich. And when he came, as he came, he was scrutinized, and he suffered unbelief from his own, stay with me here, from his own family, he was scrutinized by his family. He suffered unbelief from his own family and from his friends and from families that, that he was raised with there in Nazareth. John chapter 7, verse number 5 says, For neither did his brethren, brethren believe in him, his own brothers. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and healed them, and he marveled, Jesus did, he marveled because of their unbelief. This is Jesus Christ, the very begotten Son of God, God in the flesh. He had to humble himself just to take on the form of a man, just to take on the form of a man. And then he came down and lived in this world and uh, suffered at the hands of just about everywhere that he turned. He came to his own, his own received him not. He suffered unbelief from men of low degree. He suffered rejection. He suffered ridicule. He suffered mockery. He went on to suffer fervent hatred, even from people who saw his miracles, and even from people who witnessed his compassion for those that he had helped. And of course, he suffered the shame of the cross. He was willing to suffer degradation. He, he suffered physical abuse beyond our understanding. He suffered betrayal and, and being forsaken by his own disciples and, and, and the abandonment of God. Now, don't forget, none of, these, none of these things caught him by surprise. He went through all of this for you and me. For you and me. He did it for you and me. All of that. Went through all of that for you and me. But there were some things that he did not do when he suffered. Some things he didn't do when he suffered. Look at verse 22 again in 1 Peter. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. So, when he suffered all these things at the hands of different ones, 
He did not sin. He always, always behaved in a right manner. Jesus did. No matter what he went through. Come on, remember who's writing this? Peter. Peter's writing this. Peter had walked with him for about three and a half years. And he never, never witnessed Jesus doing anything wrong. Not one thing. None. Zero. Couldn't accuse him of anything of doing wrong. Three and a half years. Couldn't accuse him of one thing. He, he never did sin. Well, I know, I know, preacher, but he was God. And he was man. But, but, but don't lose sight of what's going on here. What, he's, what he is teaching us here. Let's go back to verse 21. Now, I'm not going to preach it again, but let's go back. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Well, preacher, you know we can't be sinless. We don't believe in sinless perfection. I understand that we can't be sinless, but I'm telling you, if we are practicing walking with Him, really walking with Him, we should be sinning less. In our daily walk. Well, preacher, it's not like I'm smoking or drinking or doing drugs or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us suffering at the hand of mankind. And how we're to handle it. We are to do our best with God's help to handle it the way that He handled it. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Through all that He went through, there was only good and right things that came out of Jesus' mouth. No, he never sinned with his mouth. <laughs> Not one time. You know, so many times, so many times we go ahead and we do the right things. We know what we're supposed to do, so we go ahead and do that because we know we're supposed to do it. And yes, we'll do that and we'll do the right things, but then sin with our lips. What do you mean, preacher? I'm talking about saying things that constitute us as anything but Christ-like. You know, but I did the right thing, but I tell you, I don't know. See, that's where we mess up. There was no guile that came out of his mouth. Jesus never did that. Yeah, but preacher, like I said, he was God. Yes, he was, and he was man too. He, he, he felt all of these um, attacks. He, he was affected by it on the man's side. <clears throat> and yet 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 19 says he was without blemish and without spot. But it's not, as he, it's not as if he did not go through the things that we go through. He did. Hebrews 4.15. The Bible says, Was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he went through all of that. He went through those things. He felt those things. He su Look up here. He suffered those things. Absolutely so. That's Jesus, yes. That's, that's our Lord. That's, that's our example. He never sinned in word. He never sinned in deed. And that's the prize we are to be reaching for. We're to be reaching for that. We're to be reaching for it. Well, you know, I'll just, I'll never be perfectly sinless. So what even? No, no, no. Don't get that attitude. Well, why even try? Don't get that attitude. We ought to be reaching for it. 
We ought to be, we ought to be asking and, uh, for his help. Uh, Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I know I haven't made it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be pressing for the, toward the mark. We, we need to be doing what we can. And he never retaliated. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He never retaliated. In fact, it says that he never even threatened to retaliate. Now we know if we, if, 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 as Bible readers, we know that there were times that he was very blunt. He was very blunt. And there were times that he was even harsh toward those who were his enemies. Isn't that right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. But his motive was to convict them of his compassion for them. He wanted them to turn. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to do the right thing. But in the same way as you read your Bible, you never see him swapping insults with them or verbally jousting even though he was accused of so many things. He didn't do that. Have you ever just sat and pondered everything that he went through? Come on, it's good for us to get our mind off of ourselves every once in a while, and ponder on what he did for us, that, that we might follow his example along the way. They called him a, a glutton. They called him a wine-bibber. Uh, they called him a Samaritan. They said that he had a devil and that he cast out devils by Beelzebub. They called him a blasphemer. They called him a deceiver. They called him a perverter of their nation. And yet he answered them nothing by way of retaliation. Nothing. He answered them nothing. At his mock trial that they had for him, uh, they jeered at him, they spat on him, they mocked him, they cursed him, uh, they, they ridiculed him, they lied about him. Well, what did he do? He was silent. As a lamb led to slaughter, so opened he not his mouth. He was silent. Well, okay, preacher, I mean, what are we supposed to do then when others treat us bad? Like, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do what Jesus did when he suffered. The last part of verse 23 there. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. What does that mean? It means that he committed himself and the whole matter of whatever he faced to God. It means that he did not take the matter into his own hands to try to, get, to try to fix it. Although he could have done so. He very well could have done so. But he knew that God, his Father was the vindicator. He knew that. And and that the great judge would judge righteously. What do you mean? He knew God would handle it if he would allow God to handle it. He, He knew God would vindicate. Stay with me here. He knew God would vindicate if he allowed him to vindicate. He knew that God would handle it the way that it should be handled if he would just turn it all over to him. He knew he would take care of it. I'm telling you, God knows better how to handle such situations than we ever will. He knows how to handle it. And he can. And sometimes it's just best to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
You know, the Bible says over in the book of Proverbs that only by pride cometh contention. I've said it many, many times in counseling. It takes two people to argue. Sometimes it's best just to be quiet. Let God work. Only by pride cometh contention when you feel like you have rights. You feel like you have side. You feel like you've been wronged. Well, I have been wronged. Okay, let God handle it. He sure does a better job than we do. Well, I guess you got this all down, preacher. I wish. Wish I did. No, there's still times that I'd like to say things. There's still times I'd like to handle things. Uh, no, no, there, there, there's still times that I think, I know what I could say. But should I? And when I listen to God, he says, no, you shouldn't. And when I handle it the way that he would have me to handle it, it works out a lot better than if I'd have tried to handle it myself. Peter says that under the inspiration of the Holy Holy Spirit, Peter wrote that there will be times that we're going to suffer in this world and that things may not always seem fair. Are you still with me here? Somebody say amen. There are going to be times that we're going to suffer in this world and, and it may not seem fair. But we need to do our very best to handle those times the way our Lord did when He was here. Well, come, because the Bible says we're supposed to. This isn't some self-help lesson. This is what God says. God is always aware. No, 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 I know sometimes... You can feel alone, but God is always aware of what is taking place in our lives. And and we must learn to commit everything to Him and to follow Christ's example with His help to the best of our ability. And man, what an example He gave. I mean, what an example He is, He was. But Christ's suffering was more than admirable. It was uh, redeeming and it was substitutionary. Stay with me. We'll get through this quickly and go have a cup of coffee. It's cold outside. Have you noticed? Stay with me here. His suffering was more than just admirable that he suffered for you and I, and that he suffered the way that he did, never opened his mouth. It's more than just admirable. It's more than that. His suffering was redeeming, and it was substitutionary. Look at verse number 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Christ suffered as our sin bearer. Now hold it. I'm going to read that verse again. I want you to follow along in your Bible. Don't just listen to me. I want you to follow. No, no, I want you to think about this. I want you to read again. Think about this. Verse 24. Who his, Jesus, his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So it's like this. It's like Peter is is saying, you know, in case you're thinking that he died only as our example, only as some courageous martyr, I need to explain something that is very, very important to you. Jesus died 
to pay for our sins. Hallelujah. He was our sin bearer. Remember when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at that very time, in a way known in a way known only to God and uh, still really hidden in the mysteries of God that Jesus bore all of our sins in his own body while hanging on that tree. No, he bore all of our sins. All of them. Okay, look up here. Let me ask you a serious question. Since you have been saved, I want you to just think about this for just a second. Since you have been saved, I don't want any answer. I'm not looking for hands, nothing. Since you've been saved, has there ever been a sin that you committed that after it was done, you just felt absolutely horrible? about it. That one sin. Can you imagine having all of that? Can you imagine bearing all of that weight of the sin Every sin you've ever committed, bearing all of that at one time, and then multiply that by millions. He, he bore the sin of all mankind. Oh, come on, shame to say that there's been times since I have been saved that I've sinned in such a way and knew that it was sin before God that I was so ashamed and I was so disgusted and I was so put out and I just felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders because of that one thing that I did until I finally confessed and made right with God and of course He cleanses us and gives us that... Feeling, you know what I'm talking about? Well, he bore all your sins. All of your sins. All of them. As he hung on that tree. And all of my sin. And all of your neighbor's sin. He bore it all. And if that were not true, believers would still bear the guilt of their sins. And if that were not true, every unbeliever would have no hope whatsoever. But it is true. He bore our sins. Okay, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever forget this. Look up here. Look at me. Look at me. Never, ever, ever forget this. Jesus took, no, no, look at me. Look at me. Jesus took your place on the cross. You deserved it. I deserved it. Took your place on the cross for your sin. You deserved it. I deserved it. He was your substitute. Your substitute. Yours. He suffered as our sin bearer, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree.
No, I'm stopping on purpose. I think it's something we need to think about for just a second. Because see, those are the things that, no, 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 those are the things that, that is what we should be thinking about. That's what we should remember when we don't feel like going to church. That's what we should remember when we don't want to tithe. That's what we should remember when, when outside activities become more important to, to you than spiritual activities. That's the thing we should remember when job opportunities mean more than serving God or coming to church. I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, those, that is what we should think about when we feel less than, when we feel, when we feel like that we should just go ahead and do whatever we want to do instead of what He would have us to do. That is what we should think about. That He died in your place. He did that for you. So you wouldn't have to. That we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness. That we might live under righteousness. Well, say with me, I'm almost done. Look, look, without a doubt, yes, hallelujah, without a doubt, Jesus saved us that we might not ever, ever have to go to hell. I, I, we should thank Him every day, very regularly, just for that wonderful truth. Just for the fact that He saved us, that we don't ever, ever have to go to that Real place called hell. Thank God for that. However, he also was our example of living a righteous life. He lived, listen to me, he lived that life for us that we might choose to live right for him. He lived that, that life for us that we might choose to live right for him. Maybe I should put the emphasis on choose to live right for Him. Because we do have to choose it, don't we? It doesn't just happen naturally, does it? I'm thankful that we can form habits. But it does not just come naturally to read your Bible. And it does not come naturally to want to pray. And it just does not come naturally. Yes, we can form habits, but it just doesn't come naturally that we'd want to come to church every time the doors are open. No, 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 no. These are things that we have to purpose that we are going to do because of what He has done for us. And by his stripes, you were healed. Now, don't get caught up in the charismatic interpretation of that. This had nothing to do with our physical physical healing. No, 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 no. It speaks of a spiritual healing. Of a spiritual healing. Where do you get that? Back over in Isaiah chapter 1, where it says this. Oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, that have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head, get at this, no, no, description of their sin. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, that they, uh, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That is the way that God was describing the sins of Israel, of where they were. But Isaiah 53, 5 says this, But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed from sin. And the consequences of sin.
And then he says this in verse 25. We'll stop. Verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray. Before you got saved. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now we know this. Come on, stay with me. I'm going to quit. God created man for fellowship. And he had such. He had fellowship with man for a time. However long it may have been there in the garden. He had that before the fall. But because of the fall, mankind became uh, as wandering sheep. They, they were lost. They had gone astray. They were helpless. They were hopeless out there by themselves. But now that we are saved, if you're saved, but now if, that we are saved, we have returned, he says, to the shepherd the bishop of our souls. You know what the emphasis of this verse is? If I was going to put a tagline on it, if I was going to put a tagline on it, know what the emphasis here is? Now live like it. No, from what he just said, from verse 21 to, to, to the end there, verse 25, now live like it. Show this lost world what it looks like to live a Christ-like life, no matter how they may treat you. By the way, at times, believe it or not, there are even Christian people that treat you that way. And we are to respond, to react, the way Jesus did. Just turn it over to God. I've told my daughters for years, and still tell them at times. Someone has to be the bigger person. Someone has to do the right thing. Well, preacher, have you always done? No, 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 no. You know me better than that. I'm not trying to act like I've always done the right thing. But I want to. Because he paid such a high price for me. And left such an example for me. I want to try. And I believe you would agree with me that this world, this lost world, they need to see somebody that is living righteously. Living in a Christ-like manner. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I have heard testimonies from people that have visited church that have come to a church service because of what they have seen in someone else. Whether it be family, friend, co-worker, No, just because of what they have seen in someone else. Of course, here I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism because we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. 
But you're never going to have a real good chance to tell people about Jesus Christ if you're not following His example. The suffering of Christ gives us hope. I don't know. I don't. What, what, I don't. I don't know how you. I don't know how you. I don't know how you see that, preacher, because it is so plainly outlined right there in those verses that we looked at. It's so plainly outlined that He left us this example, and that we should follow His steps. I know, but I just don't feel like so. No, so let me stop right there. That's what gets us in trouble. No. When we do what we feel like doing instead of doing what was left as an example to us. That's what gets us in trouble. Well, I just don't see how this can ever work out if I don't, if I don't step up and do something. Look, look, there's either a God in heaven that is the God of this Bible, or there's not. If we live like there's not, we'll suffer the consequences of living like that. But if we live like there is, and just trust Him to do what we can't, I can promise you, by experience, that it turns out much, much better that we just trust Him to right all the wrongs, to handle the things He would, to handle the things that He would handle, He can handle. We have great hope in our example that He left us. Let's stand to our feet. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for the Bible. Thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so very thankful that He bore my sin. That He died in my place. That He suffered for me. For me. For me. Help us, Lord, to meditate on that and never take it for granted. And that He did leave us, a, he did leave us an example. And when we feel like we cannot meet that standard, that just gives us more reason to seek your face. Because we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. Lord, we need your help. Without a doubt, we need your help. I just pray that your will would be done in our lives as we try to follow you. We'll thank you for what you do and for the help we receive. As we open up this altar, I pray folks would just yield whatever you have for them, whatever they need, that they would come to receive it of you. We thank you for it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some have made their way to the altar. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. We certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let Him have His way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.